0: C-A.
1: TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 21. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 21 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn feuny and Randy Zigenfus, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Zickenfoos
2: And I'm Lynn feuny Good morning, Randy. Hello, Lynn. <laughs> so today, we're excited to talk with Daniel Witt from Madison City Schools and talking about digital portfolios. He and some collaborators have really developed a collection of resources that uh, we came across And we were so fascinated by, we reached out to Daniel to see if he'd be willing to share some of the thinking and work behind the development of this major project. So a little bit about Daniel before we get started. He's currently the Instructional Technology Coordinator for Madison City Schools in Madison, Alabama. He's a native from Alabama, but his early childhood was spent pursuing music production and filmmaking in New York City. He spent his early years in education teaching language arts and video production, which led to a heavier focus on facilitating adult learning. Now, nearly a decade into his career, he combines his passion for the needs of youth with his technical and creative skills to help solve complex problems in the world of education. With a keen sense of the future, Daniel advocates for student voice, global awareness, and access equity as precursors for change. He's an ADE educator and a TEDx speaker.
1: All right, welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Randy and Lynn. I appreciate it. Oh, we're excited to uh, dig into this work. It's uh, very inspiring from from our roles here uh, in a school district as a superintendent and assistant superintendent, trying to bring about. This transformation of schools and this idea of digital portfolios uh, is definitely something that interests us, and I know it interests uh, many of our listeners as well. So let's right. start sort of at the 35,000-foot level. Why digital portfolios? Before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of what's going on in Madison.
3: Well, I think we could do an entire episode on why. Um, and and a lot of it is is speculation, you know? Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to speculate pretty heavily today, but try to back it up with some evidence. Um, if you pay attention to Mark Prinsky's most recent work, um, he talks a lot about transitioning into what he calls an accomplishment culture in schools. And I I suppose you would kind of put that up against what we would call an achievement culture in schools, though the words achievement and accomplishment do seem like uh, synonyms and I guess they would be in a thesaurus, I think in education, we all know that the word achievement is uh, has some baggage associated with it. I, I always associate it with test scores and data and spreadsheets. Um, my time spent in middle schools and high schools uh, has led me to believe that numbers and data and spreadsheets are a little bit less useful than we formerly thought, especially when considering what our kids are truly capable of doing, not Bubbling in stuff on a sheet of paper, but what they can actually do. Mm -hmm. And as Mark Prinsky would put it, how can they improve their world? So I think the biggest argument for why digital portfolios is that as we move toward a a culture of accomplishment where our kids are really completing complex world improving tasks, we're not going to have a way to show growth if we don't embrace digital portfolios and start to tackle it K-12, start to show growth from early childhood development all the way up through graduation um, so that the kid can see his or her improvement, um, but also so that school staff, teachers, parents, and partners can also see um, how much the child has grown as a world improving accomplisher. Um, And that's something that a spreadsheet will just never be able to record for us.
1: So it's this idea of boiling down uh, a student to a a number. And what does that number really mean? And how do we, uh, if we have greater aspirations, like you mentioned about Mark Prensky's thinking that that we need to get out of this, there's a a bigger why into why we do education. And if we're going to have that bigger why, there are other Ways that we have to explore and investigate that show what a student is capable of actually doing and impacting uh, in the world, and this idea of digital portfolios sounds like uh, that's one of the key entry points into achieving that bigger why.
3: I, I think so, and and I and I'm not suggesting that we do a total 180, um, but I am suggesting that we we attempt to balance the the children's experience in school. Um, with digital portfolios and everything that that entails. I'd also like to just toss in here that this is not a terribly new concept. Uh, while digital portfolios are are pretty new, portfolios in general are not new, and accomplishments certainly aren't new. In fact, prior to the sort of industrialized model of education that we found ourselves in, we were an apprenticeship culture. Uh, the human race was full of apprenticeships, full of mentorships, and full of things Um, that would lend themselves more to the accomplishment category as opposed to achievement. So really what this is is sort of a return to the post-industrial or to the pre-industrial model of education and maybe blending these two together to give birth to some new thing, whatever the next step, the next major iteration of education is.
2: So you've worked with some colleagues and you've been really deliberate about creating resources for others. And um, we've linked those resources uh, particularly your Google Drive folder in the show notes for our, our listeners to access. Um, so why, and then we also linked the documentary, which was really interesting to see as well. Why why is it important for you to um, be so deliberate about creating and sharing these resources?
3: Um, so you know, I'm not I'm not gonna diss too hard on things like teacher pay teacher, but. <laughs> Um, You know, we have this great internet thing now and we all can be content creators and there's absolutely nothing holding us back financially or otherwise from sharing our best work with the world. And I think it's our responsibility as progressive educators to inspire each other, to inspire everyone else who's attempting to do uh, similar things to what we're doing. Um, But I guess more to the point, I think it's our responsibility to share the resources that we have found um, and proven to be worthwhile for the development of students. Um, I've always felt a pretty strong responsibility in that domain um, and my partners have too. Um, Molly Bounds is my closest partner here uh, in the digital portfolio effort. And Natalia Dooley was a major force um, in developing a lot of the content that you see and a lot of other teachers and students. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Christian Arnsbarger. He's currently a senior in high school. Um, and for the last two years, he has been helping um, develop the, all of this content. In fact, he edited the documentary almost single-handedly. Wow. Uh, and, so, and, and sort of the, the super meta part of this is that his work with the Digital Portfolio documentary and the resources that we've developed is now in his digital portfolio, mm-hmm. right? And it's helped him get scholarships to SCAD. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is, you know, we're trying to prove it by doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also feel like digital portfolios are kind of a big, bad beast in a lot of educators' minds. They all see, they tend to see the worth of it um, and and how it might help them approach the future of education uh, with their kids. But a lot of times it, it's sort of a mystical domain, right? Um, how do I get started? What is this about? Do we just take papers and scores and resumes and put it on a website or is there more to it? Um, how do I make movies with my kids? How do I, uh, how do I prioritize reflection with my kids? All of these things are questions that teachers have. Um, and we felt like we had three years of solid experimentation and experience under our belt and somebody had to tell the story. There was a lot of talk about it, but there weren't a lot of resources out there. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're firm believers that educators should share their best work
1: for free. Mm-hmm. So, what I what I love about the, the story is that this is a practitioner story, and um, you've you've studied your practice, and you've come up with a plan, a way that other people interested in digital portfolios can start from the beginning and take it all the way to the end. Uh, And you've shared that in the Google Drive, again, like Lynn said, which we'll share in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. Um, So walk us through the different stages of how you've uh, sort of refined your process and how our listeners might get a sense of what is the process of implementing something like this.
3: Okay. So um, the first thing you'll notice when you hit the Google Drive folder is that there are seven primary phases that we have designed and they all start with S uh, just to kind of keep it, keep it simple for people and help it be memorable. Um, the, I, I think the most important thing to say first is that uh, the ironic part here is that we go a good number of days with kids without ever touching technology. Um, the digital portfolio process is a lot less about technology than it is about prioritizing reflection and focusing the kids on their passions and their true, like, real-life goals. And so uh, stage one is called Start, and we, we, we kick it off with a large group of kids. A lot of times we, we get a cafeteria or an auditorium, and it's, it's just kind of a pep rally for what this is about to become. Uh, most kids that we work with have never even thought about portfolios before, especially as we go deeper down into the fourth and fifth grade levels. Um, and so we do a kickoff where they uh, use a concept map to explore the giantness of who they are. Um, they take this concept map and they all look different and there are no rules except, uh, except that they have to get as much about themselves onto a sheet of paper as possible. So it's a lot of paper and pencil, a lot of talking, a lot of collaborating, a lot of thinking. And then even once we get into phase two, um, which is arguably the most critical phase called um, called uh, structure is that's when students begin to think of themselves and the largeness of their identity in in smaller categories. So compartmentalizing one's selfhood is a real challenge. And we've done this, we've done the same type of work with third graders, and we've done it with our administrators, including our former superintendent And it is just as challenging, if not more challenging for the adults. Um, So once they take the hugeness of self and and try to start compartmentalizing it um, using some simple graphic organizers that we've developed, then we introduce technology. Um, Because it takes a lot of thinking and doing and drawing and all that stuff to even begin to understand what the website could look like. and, and I think, I think it's, it's a good time to, to mention here that that's really all we're doing here is we're building a website about oneself. Um, and so once that's all done, they can take those categories from the graphic organizer and those categories become the navigation backbone for their website. Um, and once they build the backbone out, now we can start to fill it with content. You know, now we can start to have really meaningful conversations with our kids about what type of content would best represent their passions, their skill sets, their hopes for the future and so forth. Um, And then the rest of the phases are really just sort of iteration phases, right, to improve the website over time and to create long-term goals for each student. And. We do not support publicly any specific platform, right, to build these things with. And even if we did six months from then, uh, it would become obsolete or there would be something even better. Um, But I I would like to just mention that we've had a lot of success um, at various grade levels with um, at the earlier grade levels. We've had success with Seesaw. Um, We've seen some success with Class Dojo. As they approach middle school, we've seen a lot of success with Google Sites and Weebly. Um, Students are really capable of doing that with very little instruction. And then as they approach high school, a lot of our kids sort of uh, graduate into needing something a little bit more complex, like Wix, um, something like that that gives them more free-form freedom to design their website in ways that that truly represents who they are. so, yeah, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell.
2: So just curious, did you develop those phases? I, I I think you said you basically named them and kept them all the S's to keep it simple. Were they based yeah. on anyone's framework or were they really just a result no, of the evolution of your practice?
3: This this is honestly 100 um, percent. Uh, the brainchild of mm-hmm. us over time and our kids and our teachers. Um, I remember we developed the names of the phases on the back of a placemat at a restaurant in Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama, while we were eating uh, dinner. We've had those um, moments. Napkins. Yeah, sure. I mean, those those are the best moments, right? Um, and And the reason for that is that there just isn't a whole lot of public thinking out there right mm-hmm. now about mm-hmm. this. And if there is public thinking, it looks a lot like a blog post, not a platform, not a strategy, not Mm -hmm. a list of phases. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Um, And so, because there wasn't a whole lot of thinking, we had to do a lot of original thinking. Um, And it evolved really slowly and it evolved because of a lot of failures and a lot of successes, right? So, what we've tried to do is keep these phases and the entire structure of our ideas as open-ended as possible so that educators can take it and run with it in the way that they see fit. Um, without feeling like they're subscribing to a program. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I feel like educators are programmed to death, right? So we're not trying to sell a program, we're just trying to supply a basic backbone and Mm -hmm. thinking strategy Mm -hmm. for for teachers.
2: So you mentioned that you experienced successes and failures along the way as you've developed this over multiple years with your colleagues. Um, What did what are maybe some examples of barriers or challenges that you've seen along the way that you could share and um, talk to us about how you navigated those?
3: I could get pretty deep and dark about this one. I'll try to keep
2: it light. <laughs> Let's not um, scare I, anybody.
3: Yeah, right. I, I will say <laughs> the, biggest, the biggest barrier, the biggest obstacle, I would say, is that um, we are still an achievement culture. Mm-hmm. We are still, uh, educate public education is still very much a culture of numbers. Um, and so we're, we're fighting a system. Um, a really old system, and so even even in our district, we have some some resistance. You know, as any district would, and I think that's healthy because it it forces us to analyze our own goals and and rethink the way that we're um, doing things, or maybe the way that we're articulating our ideas. Maybe even a better way to say that. Um, so that's the biggest barriers that we're we're tackling a beast. You know, um, we're changing significantly changing the foundation of education and the way to consider what our students need. That's one barrier. Mm-hmm. Another barrier for us along the way was not quite understanding um, what our students were capable of doing. Um, in And so we had to rethink along the way how much instruction was necessary to get over certain hurdles. And by that, I mean, we thought the easy part was going to be categorizing selfhood and all that stuff, and the hard part was going to be designing a website. That could not be more false. Mm-hmm. It is actually flipped, and so many failures uh, over the years have led us now to understand that the hard part for adults and students uh, and adult, I'm sorry, students and adults is uh, understanding oneself, reflecting constantly, and making a habit out of reflection. And then learning to record that reflection in meaningful ways. Those are the hurdles. And building a website uh, for most
1: students today is actually kind of a Mm
3: non-issue.
2: The easy part.
1: Yeah, right. So I think that idea of knowing oneself, um, as you were going through the stages, I was making this connection, like this is a very personal process. And we talk about, you know, in education, the buzzword, personalized learning. This is truly yeah. personal because the student, the learner is personalizing this. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that as a barrier too, because if we look at sort of the legacy education system, it's, you know, we're we're doing things to the students. And now this is sort of asking them to take ownership of this, how, how act, act, you know, hold up the mirror and reflect on who you are, what are your strengths, what are your challenges and how do you create something then that represents that personal, that person. Um, and and we very much connect to that because one of the things that, that we've been doing around here, and if you've listened to any of the podcast episodes, you've probably heard this, the idea of creating a profile of a graduate and then sure. what are the learning beliefs that help to support us get there. Um, so we've been thinking a lot about you know what are ways that we could break that achievement culture and... Um, move more in the direction of showing evidence of students um, meeting competencies around this profile. And I know there are a lot of other school districts that are thinking about this and trying to transform their systems around this. So share with us how a student-centered portfolio like you've described could support this work of transformation uh, within within education.
3: So, man, there's a lot of answers to this question. First of all, I think <laughs> I think, you know, like you said, personalized learning is kind of a giant buzzword. Um, it's like Ed, Ed Surge's primary goal, right, is to is to help understand personalized learning. Um, and we talk a lot about uh, another giant buzz phrase is leaders of their own learning um, for obvious reasons. I mean, it's great thinking right now in education. I think digital portfolios are those things manifested in their purest form right now, at least it's the purest form that I've been able to uh, identify along the way. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that it's, it's a little scary is because we say these things and we believe in these things. But sometimes as educators, when we see that um, tackling those ideas in their purest, truest form, um, sometimes that's a little scary because it's so different from our current practice. Um, what we have found is that especially if we start early with digital portfolios, what we're really doing is developing a habit in our students. And we've tried to whittle this down, and we talk about this a lot in the documentary. We've tried to whittle this down to a really basic mantra, and that mantra is show, then reflect. We have found that our students are primarily really great at showing. Um, Thanks, Instagram, for that. Um, But maybe reflecting is something that they need a lot of work in, right? Right. And so if we can keep this mantra of show, then reflect, starting from kindergarten and having conversations with really young kids about what reflection really is and what it looks like and how do we do it purposefully and habitually, Um, if we can do that, then as we grow into later elementary, middle, by the time they get to high school and we have creatures of habit built around reflecting, we will have transformed education at that point. Um, I think the sometimes the sad part is that I feel like, man, we've done so much, but really we've only been doing this for about three years. And so we don't really know what it looks like yet. We don't know what a human being who's focused on reflection looks like as they age into high school and then into the workforce or into college. Um, But we do know that if we prioritize the time for reflection and, and by that then digital portfolios, we know that we will have balanced our students' day. Mm-hmm. We know that each school day, there's a little less focus on data, a little less focus on standardized tests and standardized assessments, and a little more focus on who the child is and what they want to do. And anytime we can inject that purposefully into their school day, that's a win in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that honestly that constant habitual reflection really helps students understand where standardized tests and where more traditional achievement, culture, education, where that actually has some benefit in their lives. I think the hard part for kids is, is, is understanding where does this fit in the deeper sense of who I am and who I am to become. Um, And I think Mark Prinsky would use that word become. I think that's, he says the purpose of education is to become. Um, And so, that's one that's one giant way that digital portfolios can help the transformation of education it's very much a concrete real world everyday struggle and it's this is not something you do at the end of the year um digital portfolios are not something you do at the end it's kind of like that common misconception about project-based learning right we'll just do learning like we've always done it and we'll tack on a major project at the end and that'll be your grade or whatever um that could not be further from the purpose, the true purpose of project-based learning. So with digital portfolios, just like project-based learning, we start from the beginning with it. We build the foundation, the backbone, the construct, and we spend the rest of the semester or the rest of the year practicing this show-then-reflect strategy in ways that help students keep their learning in perspective.
1: I hope hope that made sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think what you're describing is you're... Uh, transforming the learner's mindset from the school paradigm to the to yeah. a learner centered agency owning kind of thing, and and you're you're doing that through building that habit of reflection. Uh, Absolutely, over the and of time, I, I love that word.
3: Yeah, and I love that word agency. That's really what we want to develop in our students is agency in the modern world. This also helps them practice um, understanding in a real world scenario their digital footprint which is becoming increasingly important. Um, I, you know, Digital citizenship is it's one of those buzz phrases that I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of because our students don't really think of it that way. Um, we think of it that way as teachers, but they don't really think of it that way. To them, it's just citizenship. And I think that's something that we talk a lot about in the documentary. Um, so that's another huge benefit to digital portfolios is that you're supplying a platform and a strategy long-term for students to practice that work Um, Under the sort of protected, safe environment of having a certified teacher overseeing that over time, um, as opposed to sort of the old way, which is to taboo that type of stuff in the school environment so that when they do graduate out into the world, my fear, and I've seen it a million times with my own high school students, is if we taboo content creation and showing one's best work on the internet and things like that publicly in school, then once they graduate out into the workforce or into uh, college, they're not real sure what's postable and what to share with the world. And we've seen a lot of backfiring happen. So this gives them a way to practice that effort over time so that maybe they're not so surprised by that level of freedom in adulthood.
2: So, wrapping it up here today, Dan, um, thinking about the work that you've done with Molly and Natalia, um, you know, what, what have you learned from the systemic development of digital portfolios? Or what advice might you give teachers or leaders who are considering getting started with this?
3: Okay. Um, first, I, I would, um, and th- hopefully, this is not just self promotion, but um, we've made that documentary for a really uh, important reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that video is by far the best way to share important ideas in 2017. Um, the the documentary is designed uh, at I think it's at 37 or 38 minutes. It's designed to be watched um, by a faculty during a faculty meeting or uh, it's designed to be watched by a class and their teacher during the school day in a class period. Mm-hmm. That's why we try to keep it around 40 minutes long um, Watch this together and talk about it together. Let it be just the beginning of the conversations and don't go all in all at once. And definitely don't attempt to do this alone. Um, The times that we've seen this flop in classrooms is when a teacher goes, yeah, I believe in this, I'm going to do it. And then they attempt to do it alone. Um, It's really important that a teacher has at least one significant partner in this effort, Um, because it is so different. It is so new and it is so strange. And even with our resources and our documentary and all that stuff, there's still going to be really specific failures to each group. Right. And so a lot of times those failures can scare you away if you don't have a partner. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest recommendation is find a like minded teacher, find a support structure at your central office or your administration team and include those adults in the actual classroom time that you prioritize for portfolios. Don't just meet with them periodically, ask them to come in, invite parents in to have meaningful conversations with kids about who they are. Use these graphic organizers, especially in phase two um, with lots of adults in the room. And I think that's really, really important. And the more you do that, and the more you share your story on Twitter or other places about how that's going, Um, the more this will snowball, and the less alone you might feel in your efforts. Um, So that's a really important thing, I think, also, is just share your work. Mm -hmm. Don't keep it hidden away. Even if you think it's not going so well, share with the world in a blog post why it's not going well. And I think you'll find a lot of like-minded educators out there in cyberspace and in your own building or district who feel the same way and who want to help because they believe in it.
2: Thank you for sharing those thoughts. And We've talked before about the importance of a critical friend as you um, approach your everyday everyday life, everyday work, and some, tackle some new challenges to have someone to, to reflect and learn with has been really Looks valuable. like you guys
3: have found. Yes, found, we have. Oh, yeah. we, have, we,
2: have <laughs> reflected, we have reflected on that many times. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Dan, and share your work along with the work of your colleagues, Molly Bounds and Natalia Dooley.
3: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Keep doing what you're doing.
2: Thank you.
1: And you keep doing what you're yeah. doing, too. Oh, I'll try my best. Thank so you. Much, yeah. So much for sharing. All right.
2: So in the show notes, we have linked many resources that Dan shared uh, and that we think you will find valuable. First, connecting to a TL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 3 with Mark Prensky. You'll find the digital portfolio documentary that Dan mentioned. Also, some articles and blog posts. Um based on this work and you can check out uh, connecting with Dan Molly and Natalia on Twitter and also take a look at their digital portfolio whole story um, as long as as well as the link to the Google Docs drive
1: each episode we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation this episode's questions how would your learners benefit from the development of digital portfolios And how can you further the conversation of learner agency and the development of digital portfolios in your district or school? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or access any of the resources that we've shared, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 21. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Dan.
2: Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Thank you.